Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, for this week's episode, I have a real treat. This is uh, the first five chapters from the book Master of Hounds by C. Stephen Manley. This is the first book in the Pikmin Files series, and uh, here's the excerpt about the, the book itself. Clint Mercer is about to get a crash course in magic. After he barely survives an attack on the hospital where he works, Clint is quickly recruited by the brilliant but often unstable wizard Arlo Dandridge. Working on behalf of the mysterious Pikmin Institute, the two men soon find themselves in a race to recover an ancient relic of deadly power before a centuries-old warlock and his cult of militant followers can beat them to it. With the lives of an entire city on the line, failure is not an option. Master of Hounds is the first book in the Pikmin Files series, a dark urban fantasy filled with magic, monsters, secret societies, and dark conspiracies. And I gotta tell you, I just finished narrating the, the first five chapters, and holy cow, um, I am already in love with not only uh, C. Stephen Manley's writing, but this this entire genre. Like, it... Everything is there. Um, I, I'm, I, I have already ordered the Kindle book. I'm going to finish reading it. And I got to tell you, if, uh, if this isn't optioned by a publisher uh, for producing an audio, uh, I, I'm going to start lobbying for it to happen and for me to narrate it. Um, I, I love this. So anyway, uh, without further ado, here comes the, uh, the first five chapters of Master of Hounds by C. Stephen Manley. All of his details will be in the show notes, uh, narrated by me, James Anderson Foster. Enjoy. Excerpt from the novel Master of Hounds by C. Stephen Manley. Chapter 1 Outside the Warner Residence, 203 Low Avenue, Huntsville, Alabama, 28th of October, 1.37 a.m. Central Standard Time. Arlo knew something was wrong the moment he laid eyes on the place. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with the house itself. It sat in the shadows of the tall oak trees that filled the city's historical district. There were so many of the things that most of the light from the street lamps was all but completely blocked, hiding the details of the restored Queen Anne-style structure in a layer of chilly autumn darkness. No, the house itself was fine. The source of his apprehension was something less tangible. What is it? Deanna said, looking up from her phone screen. The glow cast a faintly blue shadow over her light mocha skin. The Tahoe's engine hummed and 
Warm air blew from the vents between the two front seats just hard enough to tickle the back of Arlo's thin hand. The two agents in the front were quiet, their eyes sweeping over the vehicle's surroundings. Arlo didn't bother looking over at Deanna. He didn't have to. After seven years of working together, he could have described the look on her face just from her tone of voice. I'm not sure, he said, letting his eyes and his deeper senses sweep over the place. I feel something, but it's obscured somehow, muffled. Are we certain it's here? As much as we can be. We know that one of them contacted the seller on the dark web and payment was made. It had time to make it across the ocean. But no visual confirmation? Of course not, we just got here. I'm feeling something. It's just off normal enough to notice. Deanna considered it. The relic? Could you be sensing that? It would confirm things. I mean, if the intel on it is right, then the damn thing's probably got its own aura. Arlo nodded. If it's actually one of the seven crypticals, then yes, without a doubt. That could be it, I suppose. It's odd, though. Where are the perimeter teams? Half a click out in four directions, she said. I give the word and they can be here in well under a minute. Why, you checking my work? Arlo suppressed a momentary impulse to smile. I wouldn't dream of presuming so much. I just wanted to know how many celebratory drinks I'd be buying if this goes to plan. Deanna gave a small laugh and said, all of them money bags. Getting this thing out of circulation would be a big win for everybody. Arlo nodded and then looked over at her. Shall we? Copy that, Deanna said. Miles, Frank, she said to the two agents in the front seats. You guys hold here and keep your eyes on the place. The two of us are going to be weird enough knocking on their door in the middle of the night. No need to give these old folks a coronary. The two men acknowledged the order and turned their eyes towards the Warner house as Arlo and Deanna got out of the SUV. The cold night air was like a slap on Arlo's skin as he stood and waited for his partner to join him. He shoved his hands into his coat pockets and pulled the dark wool clothes tighter against the soft breeze. The assortment of rings that he wore were like small bands of warmth on his fingers. Deanna came around the back of the Tahoe and said, Crap, it's cold. Couldn't we have done this at noon? Not for this, Arlo said. High priority acquisition, no delay. So, who are we tonight? Standard DHS cover, Deanna said, handing him a folded leather ID case. Terrorist connected intel, blah, 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 secure the relic and disappear. Terrorists, Arlo said. It's always terrorists. Deanna shrugged. It's in vogue. Scary enough to get attention, but not as scary as the truth. Now, Let's get this done so we can hit a Waffle House or something for all the hot chocolate they can pour. This was usually the point in their pre-mission banter that Arlo would make some comment about her drinking coffee like all the other grown-ups, but he let the reference go without responding. His mismatched eyes were fixed on the house. Something was tickling his awareness, buzzing around his senses like an insect he couldn't quite catch sight of. He started a little when Deanna poked him in the arm and said, Hey, Gandalf, you good? Didn't forget your meds, did you? Arlo looked at her and nodded. Yes, I'm fine, and you know I never forget. Let's go. They crossed the street and approached the wrought iron fence that surrounded the property. It was one of the four-foot-high models, and as near as Arlo could tell, 
encompassed the double-sized lot that the house was centered in. He dropped his hand on the gate and said, there might be a dog. Deanna said, maybe, but I haven't heard or seen any sign of one. Cold night like this, they probably brought him inside. Arlo nodded and lifted the latch. The gate swung open with a soft creaking sound. The heavy iron ring on his index finger scraped against it as he pushed the gate aside. The house stood before them, dark, silent, and draped in tree-cast shadow. Dried brown leaves rustled and fell as the breeze moved through the trees, filling the night with a faint, whispered rattle. Come on, Deanna said. Move it or lose it, you're blocking progress. Arlo headed up the walk. The wide front steps gave a wooden groan under their weight as they climbed them and moved onto the long angled porch. Arlo raised his hand to knock on the stained glass front door, but stopped when he saw a thick line of deeper blackness between the door and the frame. He looked at Deanna and said, it's open. Deanna took one look and drew her Glock 22 in a single fluid motion. It rested in her hand like it had evolved there while she keyed her collar mic and said, all units, the structure has been breached. Move silent to tight perimeter positions and stand by. Escort team, cover the back. She returned her free hand to her shooter's grip and said, think maybe they forgot to lock up? Arlo responded by raising his hands and whispering something in a language that sounded a lot like he was gargling marbles. Faint lights of varying colors came to life in each of the ten rings he wore and glowed just bright enough to see in the dark. He stepped to one side and let Deanna take the lead. She carefully nudged the door open with her boot until it was open wide. Arlo glanced inside quickly and then shook his head at her. Light, he whispered. Let's try the normal way first, she whispered back. Arlo nodded. They'd done this so many times that no more words were needed. Deanna swept in with her Glock up and dropped into a kneeling stance. Arlo came in behind her and felt around for a light source. His hand brushed over a panel of four plastic switches. He tried them all, but nothing happened. Okay, she said. Light it up, Gandalf. Arlo reached into his pocket and pulled out a small glass orb about the size of a golf ball. He held it up to his mouth and fogged the clear sphere with his breath before whispering something into the glass. He extended his hand as a white glow bloomed in the orb and lit the area with a stark light. They were in a foyer with switchback stairs leading up to the second story. A hallway extended out before them, but the light only illuminated a portion of the space. An open portal to the left led into some sort of great room. There was a closed door a little further up the hall on their right. Rich, ornately carved wood decorated a stairway banister leading up into the second-story shadows. Rows of wooden framed family pictures lined the walls. Arlo inhaled through his nose. The air was tainted with a thick metallic scent that was all too familiar. He glanced at Deanna and she nodded. She smelled it too. Bola frame, she whispered. Arlo took the glass sphere and sent it rolling down the corridor. He put enough strength behind it that the orb bounced onto a thin carpet runner that was in the center of the hallway and kept going. Shadows danced as the light moved. The glass made a light sound as it left the runner and struck the hardwood floor in the room beyond. It suddenly slowed when it hit a thick puddle. The light's hue shifted to something darker with a subtle hint of red. 
Deanna cursed and rose to her feet. Arlo stayed to her right and had his hands up, spots of multicolored lights glinting from his rings. He drew in a breath as they moved down the hall, floorboards creaking under their weight. Just as they'd suspected, the glass orb had come to rest in a puddle of slowly coagulating blood. The muddied light revealed a room filled with bookshelves filled to capacity, comfortable furniture, a stone-faced fireplace alight with the embers of a dying fire, and the bodies of Walter and Alice Warner. The elderly couple had died badly. Walter's corpse was tied to a chair with duct tape. He was a bloody mess from head to toe, which was no surprise since there was an empty cavity where his abdomen should have been. Alice was on the floor in front of him and was so savaged that Arlo had to close his eyes against the sight. Parts of her were lying about her body like pieces of a broken figurine. God almighty, Deanna said, her voice a whisper that threatened to end in a gag. Oh, that old Judeo-Christian chestnut, a cold voice said from behind them. Arlo and Deanna spun back and faced the way they'd come in. A man stood between them and the front door, just far enough into the light to make out his features. He was tall and handsome in a lean cigarette cowboy kind of way. Pale hair that was slicked back from his scalp glistened with something dark in the light. Equally dark stains covered the shirt, sport coat, and slacks that he wore. Arlo's rings flared brighter. Deanna lined up her pistol with the center of the man's chest and snapped, Federal agent, get your hands up or I'll shoot. The man laughed. It was an icy sound, devoid of any feeling, humorous or otherwise. Spare me the floor show, Brownie. You're as much a federal agent as I am. Well, that is, unless the Pikmen have gone through some really radical changes since I've been away. I somehow doubt that, though. Who are you? Arlo said. The man studied Arlo for a moment. There was a smile on his lips that reminded Arlo of a shark. Oh, little Magus, I'm just a man looking for a good book, much like the two of you, I imagine. Get your damn hands up or I swear to God, I'll put every round I have straight into your creepy ass heart, Deanna said. The man's smile vanished and he gave Deanna the kind of look that promised murder. You know, he said, I remember a time when someone like you would never have spoken to a white man like that. Why, back then, we'd have set the dogs on you for that kind of disrespect. Deanna replied, but Arlo didn't hear what she said. Dark, violet-blue light had flared in the man's eyes, though Arlo knew that his partner couldn't see it. He opened his mouth to speak, but a movement behind the man caught his attention. There were shapes there, large, shaggy patches of black that shed wisps of arcane power like steam from their midnight black hides. Deanna, Arlo whispered, we... The sound of a single gunshot from the backyard echoed through the night, followed fast by an unearthly howl. Arlo heard a man scream. He thought it was Frank. The shadows came for them as Deanna opened fire. Chapter 2 Huntsville Hospital Emergency Room, 101 Sively Road, Huntsville, Alabama. 28th of October, 1.59 a.m. Central Standard Time. 
Clint Mercer signed out of the patient record he'd been updating and pushed the keyboard back into its slot beneath the monitor. He swiveled in his chair to face the doctor sitting next to him at the nurse's station and said, No. Why not? You'd make a great doctor, Sarah Powell said, leaning back into the seat and adjusting her lab coat so the stitched letters showed clearly. Just picture it. Clint Mercer, M.D. I'm telling you, you'd be great. Better than you? Clint said with no attempt to hide his smirk. That's just crazy talk, Sarah said. Still, you'd be damned good. It wasn't the first time they'd had this conversation. Sarah had already been on staff for nearly a year when Clint had come to work after graduating from nursing school. It hadn't taken long before they'd become friends and she'd taken an aggressive but well-intentioned interest in his career path. At first, he'd thought it was some kind of romantic overture, but soon discovered that he was the wrong gender for that kind of attention. It was always on the slow ER nights that she seemed determined to make him climb the educational ladder. I'm good with the R and the N after my name, he said. Thanks, though. That's even better, she said. Between nursing and your military time, you'll have more experience than anybody else in your class. You'd be top of the applicant pile, no problem. Yeah, thanks. Still not interested. He stood up and grabbed a tablet next to the computer. I've got to inventory exam three. Walk with me if you want to keep talking. Sarah rose and joined him as he walked out from behind the desk and headed for the nearest examination room. She stood a few inches shorter than his six feet and change, but carried herself as though she could look him squarely in the eye. See, right there. We've worked in the same unit for what, two years and some? I've never had to inventory an exam room. Not once. True, Clint said. But I don't have to carry malpractice insurance, deal with partners or office management, and have guaranteed days off. I show up, I work a shift, I go home. And I only take about half the calls you do, so, you know, I'm good. It's not that bad, Sarah said. Clint locked his wide brown eyes on her and said, Being a doctor isn't a job, it's a lifestyle. It's not that bad for you because you chose it. I like keeping my job and my lifestyle in separate boxes. Sarah met his dark eyes with her slate blue ones and rolled them dramatically. Oh, for God's sake, Clint, you make it sound like I'm in a nunnery or something. Look, just let me sign you up for the MCAT. We'll see how you do, and then you can make a better informed decision. Clint pulled a light pen from the side of his tablet as he entered the room. They'd had a car accident victim with some minor injuries in earlier, so it wasn't a complete mess. He ran the pen over one of the supply drawers and then opened it to check the supplies against his list. Tell you what, he said. I'm signed up for a Tough mutter in Tennessee this coming April. You do that with me, and I'll take the MCAT. Oh, Sarah said, absently pushing a strand of dirty blonde hair out of her eyes. Oh, hell no. Are you kidding me? Why not? You could get ready in seven months. Uh, no, I couldn't, and I'm not into all that. I was in med school while you were off being a paratrooper. I wasn't a paratrooper, Clint said. I was a pararescueman. There's a difference. Whatever. I wasn't in the Army. Air Force. See? I didn't even know that. I was in med school while you were learning to jump out of airplanes looking all badass. Become an MD and you'll have that on me even if I am still the better doctor. You know, Clint said, you have some unhealthy control issues. 
only in the face of underutilized talent. Come on, Clint, you know I'm right. Clint closed the drawer and opened the next. I like my life the way it is. I'm not interested in going back to school. I, we need a doctor over here. I've got a wounded federal agent, someone shouted. Clint and Sarah both spun at the sound and saw five people coming in through the ambulance bay doors. One of the men was carrying a smaller man with a bloody shirt and limply lolling head. He was obviously unconscious and blood dripped from one dangling hand. The rest were coming in through the bay backwards with weapons trained on the street outside. Each of them looked as though they'd been in a scuffle. What the hell is this? Sarah shouted. How did you get those doors open? The woman turned, held up a badge and ID so fast that Clint barely had time to register it and said, we're with Homeland Security and that man needs immediate help. Green, contact hospital security and get this area cleared of civilians and non-essentials. Jeffers, get the local Leos on the phone and get ahead of the reports. Carlson, stay on the door. The man carrying the injured agent rushed towards Clint. Where, he said. Clint pointed to another treatment room and said, there, room five, what happened? They moved together towards the room. We were attacked, the man said as he placed the injured man on the bed, smearing blood across the clean sheets and guardrails as he did it. An operation went sideways. He's breathing, but he's been out for about five minutes now. Was he shot, Sarah said. No, it was Agent Scott, the female agent snapped as she came into the room. Join Carlson on the door. If you even think you see something, sound off. Agent Scott gave her a quick, yes, ma'am and headed for the ambulance entrance, drawing a heavy pistol from under his coat as he moved. The female agent pulled the exam curtain closed around them, cutting off their view of the main ER floor. Sarah shouted into the bay for more assistance and then turned to the female agent. I'm Dr. Powell, she said, grabbing a trauma pack from a nearby bin and tearing into it. I need to know what I'm dealing with here, agent. She left the sentence hanging. My name isn't important, just help him, then tell me. Their voices faded into background noise as Clint focused on cutting up the length of the patient's coat sleeve so he could get a blood pressure cuff on him. The wool was sturdy, but his heavy-duty emergency shears made short work of it and the shirt beneath. The man's arms were thin and lean with a lot of intricate tattoos. As Clint wrapped the cuff around his bicep, he let his eyes roam over the patient's body, assessing his condition as he went. The patient was well under six feet tall and thinly built. He was pale from blood loss, but Clint got the impression that even under the best of circumstances, the guy wouldn't look like he'd been in the sun much. The front of his clothing was soaked in blood, but Clint could make out three long rips in the fabric and the lean torso beneath. If he'd lost as much blood as it looked like he had, and they needed to get a large bore IV into him as fast as they could so they could replace his lost blood volume. Clint hit the button to cycle the blood pressure cuff and grabbed the small fingertip clip that would give them a reading of the patient's blood oxygen saturation. He lifted one of the man's clammy hands to apply the device and realized that there was an assortment of odd rings on his hand, one for every one of the man's digits. He grabbed one and started to pull it off when the female agent said, hey, what are you doing? I need to take these off, Clint said without looking up. The ring didn't want to budge. No, she said. The rings stay. He needs them. No, Sarah said, he doesn't. She had pulled a large pad of absorbent material from the trauma pack and was pushing hard on the worst of the patient's wounds. Blood was starting to show at the edges. Do not remove those rings, the agent said. 
Clint kept pulling. The damn thing was stuck, but he couldn't understand why. The guy's fingers were slender, and the ring looked as though it should slide right off. Ma'am, if his extremities swell with this jewelry on, then... Something cold pressed into the side of Clint's head. The old but familiar scent of gun oil and spent cordite tainted the air. Clint stopped, pulling at the ring, and lifted his hands away. What the hell are you doing, lady? Sarah shouted. Listen to me, both of you. I'm sorry, we wouldn't be here unless we had to be. I know this is weird and confusing, but you've got to listen to me. He's not a normal patient, but I don't have time to explain the details. I just need you to do what I tell you, and I promise the explanations will come. Consider it a national security matter. Do you understand me? Clint looked back down the pistol at the dark-skinned woman. Her eyes were hard, cold, and had a look he'd not seen in a long time. It was the look of someone that was on a mission and was not to be trifled with. Clint nodded. I swear to God, Sarah said. Hey, Doc, Clint said. We should do what she says, okay? She's serious. Clint met Sarah's eyes. Apparently, his expression said everything she needed to hear. Fine, Sarah said. But I need another set of hands in here if you want me to properly treat this patient. No, the agent said. My men are already clearing your staff out for their own safety. What? Sarah snapped. You can't- I can, and I did. The agent holstered her weapon and faced Sarah. Look, I'm not interested in hurting you, and I'm sorry about the gun, but I needed your full attention. This is a high-risk situation, and we need everyone as far from this area as they can be in case something else goes wrong. You're going to have to make do with the three of us. Sarah glared at the woman so hard Clint was surprised that the agent didn't flinch. Fine, Sarah said. Since you're so free with your six-shooter, why don't you tell us what's so special about this patient? What does he need? First, the rings stay. Second, he needs blood and lots of it. Get him that and he can do the rest. What's that mean? He's not even conscious, Sarah said. We don't have time to argue, the agent snapped. Just do what I say. All of this falls under confidentiality, so you won't be liable for anything. Just do it. Sarah looked at Clint and nodded. Get a 16-gauge into him and start a line. Clint started grabbing what he needed from the supply bins by the bed. Do you know his blood type? He said over his shoulder. It doesn't matter for him. Any blood will do. Clint looked back at her. Ma'am, it does matter. Unless he's a universal recipient, the wrong blood type... The lights went out. Emergency lighting kicked in almost immediately, bathing the room in a cold, blue-tinged LED glow. The agent's gun was back in her hand. Damn it, she said, training her weapon on the open door. He caught up to us. Before Clint could ask who, a chorus of baying howls rose from the street outside the ambulance bay. Chapter 3 what the actual hell was that, Sarah said. Another problem, a big one, the agent said. She looked at Clint and said, get him what he needs, trust me. He's not like any other patient you've ever had. She turned to Sarah. I've got to get out there and help my people secure the area. Is there a back way out of here? Back way out? Why would- There's an elevator, Clint said. Goes up a floor to the surgery department. What about from there? Can you get out of the building? Clint thought about it for a second and said, yeah, 
There's a door to the employee parking structure at one of the back stairwells, maybe a minute from the elevator. We can't move this patient, Sarah said. The agent looked at her and then back to Clint. Her eyes paused on him for a moment as though she'd spotted something she was trying to work out. She dropped a hand from her weapon and grabbed his arm. Get him the blood and then you two get him out the back way, she said. He'll know what to do when he wakes up. Take care of him. That's the mission. She lifted his scrub shirt's short sleeve and fully revealed the tattoo that was inked on his upper arm. It showed a robed angel of death holding a globe in its bony hands and a parachute rising above its hooded head. A curling banner beneath the globe read, that others may live. Clint looked at it and then back at her. This tells me that you know what that means. His name is Arlo and he's important. Promise me you've got this. Her eyes held the same intensity they'd had when she'd held the gun on him, but there was something else now. It wasn't fear exactly, but desperation. It was the look of someone who was afraid to fail. Yeah, he said, we've got this. Go do what you have to do. She gave him a quick nod and headed out of the room, barking orders to her men as she went. Excuse me, nurse, Sarah said. Would you mind telling the doctor what the hell is happening here? Clint slid the rest of the IV supplies into one of the lower pockets on his scrub shirt and said, Honestly, I have no idea. Between you and me, I think that bitch is crazy. This guy needs blood regardless, though, so I say we get this line started and then get the hell out of here just like she said. There are other ERs in this town that I'll bet haven't gone insane. Sarah looked over the patient and then nodded. Yeah, I like it. Crazy woman with gun, evacuated unit, patient safety concerns. Yeah, we can move him. There was another chorus of howls. Clint thought they were getting louder. Then there's that, Sarah said. Yeah, Clint said, that. What the hell is that? He quickly snapped a pair of gloves onto his hands and pulled the IV supplies from his pocket. Sarah let up the pressure on the man's chest and gestured to the supplies. Gimme, she said. I'll do that while you get the blood. Grab Oneg if we have it. If we don't, Sarah shrugged, and we do what the crazy lady with the gun and the badge says. Maybe he actually is a universal recipient. It doesn't sound like we have time for a type and cross, so just go. Clint ducked out of the exam room curtain. He fast-stepped out of the room, but stopped suddenly at the scene before him. The agents had collected everything that wasn't nailed down and formed a barricade at the ambulance bay doors. The emergency lighting was casting thick shadows from the mishmash of furniture, carts, and everything else that they had piled up to block the entrance. Clint could still see over the barricade, though. The ambulance bay doors were thick glass, but the exterior lights had gone out with the power. Mostly, he could see the reflections from the ER floor, but he swore there were shapes out there, moving fast at the glass and veering away suddenly. A howl went up from outside, quickly answered by a choir of others. It was so close now that Clint could feel it in his head, he turned and sprinted for the ER's blood cooler, trying hard not to think about what was happening. He reached the cooler and punched in his code. With the main power down, it seemed that the processor was running more slowly than usual or something. He wasn't really much of a tech guy, so it took a few seconds longer than it normally did. Clint gritted his teeth impatiently while he waited and snatched the glass and stainless steel door open as soon as he heard the lock disengage. He scanned the dimly lit labels until he spotted what he needed. A plastic tray with four bags of O-negative blood. 
Usually, there was a process of barcode scans that he'd go through for inventory purposes. He ignored that and grabbed the entire tray. He made a point of not looking outside as he sprinted back to room five. He came in just as Sarah was taping down the IV. I swear to my time that howling is going to give me nightmares, she said. Clint could hear the tension in her voice as plainly as he could see her rapid, nervous breathing. Focus on the job, he said. That out there is their problem. This guy is ours. Sarah nodded. Yeah, okay, let's get that line hooked up and start pushing those units in. Yes, ma'am, Dr. Ma'am, Clint said. He hoped the teasing would help to break down some of Sarah's tension. She didn't even seem to notice. Clint hung all four units of blood onto the bed's IV pole and opened a tubing pack with a plastic spike and dip chamber on one end. He handed the other end to Sarah, made sure the line was clamped, and inserted the spike into the port on the bottom of the blood bag. Once it was secure, he opened the clamp enough to bleed the air out of the line so that Sarah could hook up the IV with a fluid-to-fluid connection. As soon as it was taped down, she nodded to Clint, and he grabbed the bag with both hands and squeezed, forcing the blood into the patient's body faster than gravity could. Too slow, Sarah said. He needs a central line. Honestly, I don't see how he's even still with us. It looks like something mauled this guy. As though on cue, another chorus of howls filled the air. Sarah's eyes got wide. What the hell, Clint? Is somebody turning attack dogs loose on us? Where are the cops? I don't know, he said, squeezing harder on the bag. This one's almost in. Want to get another started and push it on the move? Sarah was staring at the privacy curtain. There was a tremble in her hands. Hey, doctor, Clint said. The patient needs you, okay? That's our job. Trust those guys to do theirs. She nodded. Right, sorry. Get another unit going wide open. I'll get him on the portable O2. Grab some epi and an ET kit for the road just in case. Will do, Clint said. I guess we're taking the bed, Sarah said. Guess so, Clint said. Most of the wheelchairs are blocking the doors right now. What? Never mind. Are his wounds packed? Yeah, for all it's worth, Sarah said. Let's get the hell out of here. Clint grabbed the supplies and tossed them onto the bed. He started unlocking the wheels while Sarah placed a nasal cannula under the patient's nose and hooked the line between his ears. Pure oxygen hissed into the tubing as she opened the tank valve. Straight to the elevator, Clint said. Don't look at anything but the patient and the hallway. Getting kind of bossy there, buddy, Sarah said. Yeah, well, they covered situations like this in badass parachuting school. Not sure you got that at UAB Medical. That's fair, Sarah said as she grabbed the blood bag and squeezed. Let's go. Clint swept the privacy curtain aside and pushed open the wide door that led to the emergency suite. He pulled the bed out onto the corridor just as something heavy slammed against the ambulance bay doors. There was a shout of alarm that was answered by the female agent shouting, hold your fire. Clint pulled the bed faster and nearly whipped Sarah into a wall as he hauled the bed around a corner that led to a set of double doors. Normally, she wouldn't have missed the chance to give him a hard time about it. Instead, she just set her feet and pushed the bed forward without comment. Her eyes were fixed on the patient. Clint let her focus and kept pulling. He came to the doors and hit the release. The hospital's backup power kept the magnetically locked doors locked, but the motors that were supposed to automatically open them weren't functional. Clint turned his shoulder into them and used his and the bed's weight to force them open. The hallway beyond was dark with small islands of LED emergency lighting leading to the elevator. 
More shouts came from behind them, followed by crashing sounds. Almost there, Ben said. Keep moving, Sarah said. I'm spiking the third bag. I think some... A kaleidoscope of lights suddenly flared from the patient's hands and torso. The thin man's back arched and he gasped in a deep, ragged breath. Clint felt his own breath catch in his throat as he watched a silver glow radiate and then fade from the patient's eyes and open mouth. As quickly as it had come, the lights faded and the man collapsed back onto the bed. Without even realizing it, they had stopped in the hallway. Both Sarah and Clint had taken a few steps back from the bed. The LEDs cast stark shadows over everything. They looked at each other, eyes wide, and Clint said, What the hell was... Behind the ER doors, a man screamed, and the sound of gunshots erupted through the shadows. Chapter 4 Go, 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 Clint shouted, grabbing the bed and hauling it forward. There was a roar from behind the closed doors, followed by another burst of gunfire. Sarah grabbed the bed and pushed. They ran down the hallway so fast that they couldn't slow the bed fast enough to keep it from pushing Clint into the closed elevator doors. His thigh hurt from the impact, but he shoved the bed back enough to swipe his ID badge through a reader next to the elevator's call button. He pressed the single button that was there. Since this was the elevator they used to get trauma patients to surgery as quickly as possible, backup generators were supposed to keep it working even in a blackout. Clint had never had to test that, though, so he was relieved when the button lit up. There were more screams from the ER. Clint looked at Sarah. Her eyes were wide and looked a little wild in the emergency lights. He imagined he looked much the same. He was about to say something when the elevator doors opened. He let the words die on his tongue and jerked the bed forward. The elevator was built for patient transport, so there was plenty of room for the bed and both of them. Unfortunately, a design oversight had left a gap between the elevator and the floor that was just wide enough for the wheels on the hospital bed to slip down into if they struck it at just the right angle. This fact was brought home to Clint and Sarah as the bed suddenly stopped moving when one of the wheels on her end got stuck. Oh, are you freaking kidding me? She snapped, jerking at the bed as she tried to dislodge the wheel. Something heavy hit the ER doors hard enough that the sound echoed down the hall. There was a frustrated roar from the other side and another loud impact. Clint thought he heard something crack. Squeeze in here, Clint said. Let me get it. No, I can... Another impact. The door bounced partly open as something gave way. Sarah jumped at the sound and said, Okay, Tough Mutter, you're up. She squeezed around one side of the bed while Clint came around the other and took her place. He grabbed the bed frame and jerked it upwards while leaning into the bed. The wheel popped free and rolled into the elevator, hitting the back wall hard. There was a sudden pop and crash as the heavy screws that secured the magnetic locks to the ER doors gave way, and the doors flew open. Clint looked back and saw what had been forcing its way through. The thing was huge. At first, he thought it was the biggest dog he'd ever seen, with its front shoulder easily four feet high. That was wrong, though. The thing's head was stooped too low and didn't have a proper snout. A thick mane of something that wasn't really fur but moved like loose spines ran from the stooped head all the way down the length of its six-foot body and gathered into a heavy tail that swept the floor. It was nearly ink black in color with small crimson eyes that studied him from the other end of the hall, 
and sat above two rows of long gray teeth that dripped something dark from its lipless mouth. Claws as long as Clint's fingers scratched at the tiled floor as he and the monster stared each other down. The thing roared and charged down the hall. Sarah and Clint both shouted in panic as Sarah stabbed at the elevator's control panel with her fingers. Clint watched the thing charging at him on clawed feet that left gouges in the floor with every loping step. The thing's eyes seemed to burn in the shadows, leaving tracers of red fire in their wake. The doors slid closed just as the thing closed in and collided with the carriage, hard enough that Clint felt the shudder through his feet. What was that? What was that? What was that? Sarah shouted. How the hell should I know? Clint snapped back. What kind of crazy shit is this? Sarah said. Clint shook his head. I don't know. Let's just get to a car and get out of here. We can figure the rest out later. Sarah nodded. Yeah, okay, we can take this guy to Crestwood. Call the cops on the way. My car's in shit. What? Clint said as the elevator chimed and the door slid open to reveal an empty alcove with a single hallway leading away from a set of locked double doors that led to the surgery suites. My keys are in my bag and my bag is in my locker. Clint hauled the bed into the alcove and turned into the hall. Between the time of night and the blackout, there was no one else in sight. We'll take mine. I'm on the fourth floor. I'm going to have to carry him, though. The bed won't work for the stairs. After that little light show, I'm not sure I want to touch this guy. I know I keep saying it, but what was that? Sarah said, pushing the bed while letting Clint lead the way. Yeah, again, no idea. He's still our patient, though. Is he? Look at him. The bleeding's pretty much stopped. We didn't do that. Clint glanced at the man's wounds. Sarah was right. No more rivulets of fresh blood ran from the bandages and sponges that had been packed into the wound. In fact, some of the packing had fallen away from the worst of the injuries, and the flesh beneath looked far less worse than it had in the exam room. It looked like it had partially healed. Clint alternated between hauling the bed around a corner and looking back at the wound. That isn't possible. Sarah shook her head. She was breathing hard from the exertion, and her hair was falling in loose blonde strands in her face. I'm starting to wonder if that word means what we think it means, she said. Look, if this guy suddenly wakes up and tells us he's good, then I say we take him at his word and get as far away from him as possible. Whatever's going on, he seems to be at the middle of it. Clint nodded. If he wakes up, I'm good with that. They skidded to a stop in front of a door with an exit sign hanging above it. The word stairs was stenciled in black on the cream-colored door. All right, lose the O2, but let's keep pushing the blood. If that's really what's making him heal, then maybe more will bring him around. You grab him and I'll carry the blood. Clint didn't bother to respond. He pulled the nasal cannula off the man, spent a second making sure he wouldn't tangle the IV lines, and then lifted him from the bed into a cradle carry. Somewhere, something howled. Sarah and Clint looked at each other. That wasn't downstairs, Sarah said. Clint shook his head. It's tracking us, or there's more than one. Leave the bed in front of the door, it might slow it down. Sarah pulled the bed into position and let the stairwell door bang shut behind them. Clint started up the stairs. The patient was light enough that he managed to take them two at a time. Sarah was breathing hard, but she kept up and didn't complain. When they reached the door for the third floor garage access, she said, hang on, I need to spike the last bag. 
Clint nodded and stopped. His legs were starting to burn a little. He ignored it and looked down at the patient. A faint glow was coming off the space on his abdomen where he'd been injured. His hands were folded over his chest. Tiny symbols on some of the rings were glowing like multicolored Christmas lights that he could see from a distance. His first instinct was to drop the man. Every sense he had was telling him that what he was seeing wasn't normal and that he shouldn't be anywhere near it. Clint fought back that fear, though, and readjusted his grip on his patient. Done, Sarah said. I don't hear anything coming after us. Don't jinx it, Doc. Let's keep moving. She nodded, and they headed up the last flight of stairs. Chapter 5 Clint and Sarah came through the doors to the parking garage at nearly a full run. Clint nodded toward the ramp that led up to rooftop parking and said, that way, about halfway up. It's a Jeep Rubicon black four-door. My keys are in my right-hand pocket. Grab them and go lay the back seats down so we can spread this guy out. Sarah balanced the last of the blood bags onto Clint's right shoulder to keep it above the patient so gravity would keep the blood moving, though slowly. Try not to jostle it, she said, and reached into the scrub shirt pocket Clint had indicated. A moment later, she held up a heavy keychain engraved with a fleur-de-lis and the words, New Orleans, let the good times roll in a circle around it. Two keys dangled from the chain. Sarah had no problem finding the one with the Jeep logo. She ran ahead, clicking the unlock button on the key fob as she went. Clint slowed to a careful walk so that the blood bag remained balanced on his shoulder. Now that he was outside, he could hear police sirens coming from the street below. The gunfire had stopped, but an occasional howl filtered out from the building. Clint knew that there were still a lot of people in the hospital, even in the middle of the third shift. With all the shooting and the power outage, most of them would be secured in rooms of some kind and not in the public spaces. Still, if those dog-wolf things had given up on them and were wandering the halls, then a lot of people were in danger. He looked down at his patient. What had the other agent called him? Artie? No, Arlo. That was it. His color was better, and the rings were still glowing steadily on his hands. Clint chose to assume that was a good thing, since he couldn't really assess the injuries on the man's torso. It didn't take long for him to make a decision. He would get the patient into the vehicle and tell Sarah to take his Jeep and get out of there. He'd left his hiking pack in the back of his Jeep the day before. He kept a well-sharpened K-bar knife there. Well, he would have preferred a fully loaded Remington 870 and a squad of equally armed shooters to back him up. The knife was what he had, so that's what he'd go back in with. There were too many people inside the building for him to just drive away. He looked up to tell Sarah his plan just as a man dropped down from the rooftop parking overhang. He landed as though he'd just stepped off the back of a truck instead of the nearly 20-foot fall he'd just taken. He was lean and dressed in a stylish black sports coat and matching slacks. A tight gray shirt showed beneath the jacket with dark stains marring his otherwise neat look. The same kinds of stains were smeared across the man's hands, neck, and lean chiseled face. Clint was sure he saw some in his light-colored slicked-back hair as well. Sarah looked up just as the man landed a few feet from her. Before she could even say anything, he had crossed the distance between them and grabbed her by the throat. Hey, Clint screamed, taking a sudden instinctive step forward. The blood bag slid off his shoulder and onto the ground. 
The newcomer didn't even seem to notice him as he lifted Sarah off her feet and delivered two vicious punches to her gut so fast that Clint barely had time to realize what had happened. His hand darted in a third time and grabbed a handful of her clothing near her waist. Without so much as a grunt of effort, the man pivoted and threw Sarah through the air like she was nothing. Clint watched in disbelief and horror as his friend went flying across the parking garage and collided with the back of a parked Lexus so hard that the back window burst into a spider web of cracks. Time seemed to slow for Clint as he watched her limbs bend in ways they weren't meant to. She skipped off the Lexus's trunk, collided with the side of an SUV, and fell to the concrete between the two cars. There was a smear of dark red down the side of the SUV. Clint could see one of her feet sticking out past the Lexus's rear tire. It didn't even twitch. There, the man said, straightening his dark jacket. Now the men folk can have a private conversation, as is proper. Clint stared at Sarah's still foot. He shifted the patient's weight in his arms slightly to get a better grip. He slowly took a step backwards as he shifted his eyes to the man who had attacked his friend. The blood bag hissed against the concrete as he dragged it. Of all the things that have changed over the centuries, the man said, adjusting his cuffs, this whole equality of the sexes thing has been the most annoying, I think. Well, that and freeing the slaves. Honestly, though, I think the whole idea of equality is to blame. Owning people was just too much fun. He met Clint's eyes for the first time, and for an instant they flared with a dark violet light, like something you'd see lighting up fluorescent paints in a nightclub. Clint gasped suddenly despite himself and took another few steps back. He turned to run, blood bags scraping along behind him when a chorus of howls from the floors below brought him up short. He stopped and looked around, fighting hard to keep his fear under control. Be glad you parked near the top, the man said. I told my hounds to start at the bottom and work their way up while I came in from above. If you'd encountered them instead of me, you'd be in pieces by now. Clint was sure he could make it to either the stairwell that would lead him back inside, or the elevator that would take him down to the garage's ground level. He'd have to stop at either, though, whether to try and pull a door open or wait for the elevator car. He glanced to the side as flashes of police strobes started lighting up the night beyond the parking deck and sirens grew louder. He heard the distant chop-chop of a helicopter's rotors. Don't get your hopes up, the man said. All the Pikmin are dead, and my hounds will make short work of the police. You're trapped, son. Face it like a man. Clint thought it over for a second before he realized that the man was right. No matter which way he went, he would get run down before he had a chance to get clear. There was no way out, and that meant there was only one thing left to do. He drew in a deep breath, knelt and placed the patient on the floor as gently as he could. Fear-driven breath hissed around his teeth as he turned and faced the man in the stained suit. I'm not your son, he said, meeting the other's eyes and planting his feet. The man's eyebrows rose in surprise. Excuse me? Clint swallowed hard. You heard me, Slim. 
I'm not your son, and if you're looking to hurt this guy, well, we have a problem if that's the case. The man's eyes had grown wide with disbelief as Clint had been talking. After a moment, a wide smile crossed his face. Let me make sure I understand, he said, holding up a hand for Clint to wait. You've met my hounds. You just saw me throw that female around like she was a lawn dart. And now you're standing between me and my prey, even though it's obvious from your face that you have no earthly idea what I am or what you're actually facing. Have I got that all right? Clint swallowed again. His mouth was as dry as a desert wind. I think that about sums it up. The dark light flared through the man's eyes again, and tiny arcs of the same colored electricity danced over his hands. Give me the Pikmin, the man said, his voice suddenly more animal than man. Clint's stomach tightened as his guts went cold. For just an instant, he almost ran, but the moment passed and he shifted his hands and feet into a defensive stance. He forced himself to hold the other man's black light stare as he shook his head. Suddenly, the lights were gone from the man's eyes as though they'd never been there. Really, he said. Usually, that little display sends you humans running like rabbits. It's been decades since anyone stood up to me like this. Why would you? You must recognize that I can kill you easy as sliding off a horse. Why would you risk that for someone you've just met? He can't possibly be anything to you. He's my patient, Clint said, forcing the words past the lump in his throat. He's mine to look after until he's well. That, and I made a promise. Besides, you said it yourself. I'm boxed in here. If this is where I go out, then I'm sure as hell not going to do it running. The man studied Clint through narrowed eyes, his smile dropping into a thoughtful line. You would die for a promise. Son, that makes you a rarity in today's world. He raised a finger to his lips absently, as though considering his options, and then said, I'll tell you what, since you've shown some obvious courage, I'll make you a deal. You walk away unmolested by either myself or my hounds, gone, free and clear to live out as long a life as you can manage. Only you, though. The Pikmin stays with me. Even Clint was surprised by how fast he replied. No deal, freak show. This man's under my protection. The man with the black-light eyes shook his head thoughtfully. A rarity indeed, he said. It's very nearly a shame to kill you. The man studied him a moment longer, then shrugged and said, Oh well, omelets and eggs. Energy flared around his hands, and he thrust them towards Clint. Clint saw the hands coming up, the dark energy crackling between them. At the same time, though, he felt someone grab his ankle from behind. Warmth, like walking from a cold room into a hot summer day, flooded through him at the same moment searing pain seemed to light up his chest and head. For an instant, everything went dark. 
He felt as though he were being shredded apart from the inside out and pulled into a trillion molecule-sized lines that stretched out into a black forever. He had no throat to scream with or eyes to weep with or limbs to defend himself with. For that instant, he was little more than a stain of pain and terror stretched across the world. Then the instant was over. Clint didn't feel himself fall, didn't feel the concrete bite into his face, didn't hear the sobbing scream that rushed from his throat. In those last instants before the darkness came for him again and his vision was clear, all he saw was his patient rising to his feet and stepping past him. And before we wrap up, I want to make sure and give a big shout out to our patrons. Uh, first up is Audio After Dark, an amazing podcast uh, where Paul Stokes interviews authors and narrators of all genres. If you love audiobooks and you're curious about the people that make them, make sure you subscribe to his podcast. I'd also like to uh, say a big thanks to C. Stephen Manley and Dogen Foster. Thank you all so much for your support. It means a lot. And if you'd like to support this podcast and get your name mentioned uh, as well, head on over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us for a couple of bucks a month. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash James Narrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back.